Chapter Fifteen of As in a Mirror by Pansy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Fifteen Tangles. John said, "Corliss Elliot, as he took his seat in the sleigh, how ill is my father?" His voice shook with strong feeling of some sort, and even by the dim light of the station lamp, his face showed pale and drawn. John Stuart felt a keen pity for him and as they rode swiftly along, talked as cheerily as he could. "'I do not think there is cause for serious anxiety. He has a slow fever, which is, of course, exhausting. But the doctor speaks confidently of the outcome. His inability to sleep has been the most trying feature of the trouble for a day or two. And in his semi-wakeful, feverish thoughts, there seemed to have been troubled fancies about you.' so that your mother and sister thought, if you could be beside him in health and strength, these might be dispelled, and he be able to rest. John was forgetting himself again in the interest of the present moment. Had Corliss not been too self-occupied to have noticed, he would have stared at hearing just this form of address from the hired man. Part of the sentence caused him pain, he drew a deep, quivering sigh that went to John's heart, as he said tremulously, "'He is troubled about me, is he? That seems almost prophetic. Poor father! I do not know how I am to get along without his advice. I never needed it more.' Then, after a moment's silence, "'John, I must manage in some way to see Hildreth tonight, and to see her alone. Can you think how it can be done?' He was in trouble, certainly, else he would never have appealed to the hired man in this way. He had been always more or less interested in this experiment of his father's, and was uniformly kind to John, but it had been the kindness of condescension, as though he would always say, I am Corliss Elliot, a college student, and you are my father's hired tramp. The tremble in his voice, and his appeal, had in them a note of equality he went on eagerly the truth is i am in trouble in very great trouble of course i cannot talk to my father and equally of course my mother must not be disturbed now but hildreth has always time and courage for everybody's trouble if i can talk it all over with her i know i shall feel better at once but i don't know how to manage it without worrying my mother and perhaps my father oh i think we can arrange that was john's cheerful reply i help in taking care of your father nights and when he has enjoyed you for a while and is resting we can plan to have you and your sister disappear together for a few minutes he did plan it successfully no sooner was the father lying back with quiet eyes resting from the pleased excitement of seeing his boy than john who had meantime been moving quietly about, arranging fire and lights, and doing a dozen other small things to add to the comfort of all, came over to Mrs. Elliot, speaking low. "'Could I remain here now on guard, while Miss Elliot goes out with her brother for a breath of fresh air? I heard you urging it earlier in the evening.' Mrs. Elliot responded promptly, hildreth who had a week's vacation from school and was spending it all in her father's room was a source of anxiety to her mother go hildreth she said earnestly 
and take a brisk walk with corliss out in the moonlight it will do you good corliss carry her off she has not been out of this room to-day and there is really no need john with a grateful glance toward him is as good as a trained nurse the father added feebly his desire for the same thing and the two slipped away only one being aware how eager corliss was to go john at his post near the window ready for anything that might be wanted watched the two pacing back and forth in the moonlight with a great ache in his heart the boy was in trouble and he by reason of his own folly was powerless to help him if he were occupying his proper position in this household how easily and naturally he could say to corliss tell me all about it my friend it is but a very few years since i was as young as you are i can understand most things without being told and stand ready to help you in whatever direction help is needed as matters stood what was there that he could say he puzzled over the possible trouble if it was a question of money and careless boys like corliss were always getting into money scrapes how easily could john stuart king have drawn a check for any reasonable amount what could john stuart hired farmhand consistently do yet what was there that he would not do for this merry-eyed kind-hearted free and easy boy not alone for his sake nor for the sake of his father and mother both of whom john stuart loved but because nothing this world contained would be better for him than to be able to bring a happy light into hildreth elliot's grave and in these days anxious eyes he told himself gloomily that at least to himself he would speak the truth out in the clear cold air pacing briskly back and forth never going out of sight of the windows where the watchers stood were corliss and hildreth he pouring out his eager passionate story almost too rapidly at times for coherence she alert keen questioning yet alive with tender sympathy oh corliss she said once her voice full of sadness he hastened to answer the unspoken reproach yes i know it all comes from my intolerable habit of chaffing playing with the truth you said it would get me into trouble some day and it has i did not think it could i thought you were over particular but i have learned a lesson i don't do it half as much as i used hildreth i don't indeed i can seem to see your eyes looking right into mine and stopping the words i wish i had seen them that night but i was excited and anxious you know that the fellows no you don't know that either what is it that i don't know corliss let me have all the truth this time the boy looked annoyed and hesitated a moment then he said it has to do with a matter that i was not going to mention for fear of causing you needless anxiety but i shall have to tell it now and it doesn't matter since it came to nothing you know the wayside house at the junction what a bad name it has well there are a lot of fellows in college or not a lot either three or four who are about as bad as they need be two of them it seems have been holding correspondence with some girls in the neighborhood i don't know who the girls are they have assumed names 
or at least names I have never heard before. One of the boys, named Hooper, is the worst scamp in college, or out of it. He has been writing letters by the volume to this girl, whoever she is, and making fun of her to all the boys in his set. I don't hear much about their proceedings, for, as you may naturally suppose, I don't belong. But I overheard enough one night to interest me, and I went in where they were, just as he was exhibiting a picture. The girl actually committed the folly of sending her photograph to him. Hildreth, if you could have heard those fellows talk as they bent over it, I think your eyes would have blazed. I caught only a glimpse of the face, and it was taken in a fancy headdress of some sort that shaded the features, but I was almost certain that it was Nell Marvin. You don't think it possible that Nell could have sent him her picture, do you? I tried in every possible way to get another look at it, but the fellow did not mean I should see it at all, so I failed. After that, I tried to find out what their next scheme might be. They always have something on hand, and I found, no matter how, it took a good while to do it, that they had an appointment, two or three of them, with ladies, so-called, at this same wayside house, on Tuesday evening of this week, and that that rascal Hooper had an appointment to meet the girl with whom he had been corresponding, at the same place. Think of it, Hildreth. The only thing I could think of was to rush off the next afternoon down here, and spend the evening at the wayside house, and a charming evening I had of it. Think of being so near home as that, Hildreth, and not being able to come home. Those precious scamps and their so-called ladies were on hand, but there was no girl among them that I had ever seen before. And the chief scamp, Hooper, wasn't there at all. He was expected, however. I overheard all sorts of conjectures as to his non-appearance. The fear that he would come later held me there till the party broke up. They had a lovely row, some of them, before that time. Drank too much, you know. Well, there was nothing for me but to get back to college. And, meantime, trouble had been brewing there for me. This fracas at the Belmont house occurred, you understand, on that very evening. It would be easy enough for me to prove an alibi. Only, how much better off would I be in proving myself to have spent the evening and away into the night with a questionable company at the wayside house? For that matter, none but questionable companies gather there, while respectable people do frequent the Belmont. You can see why I was anxious to throw those boys off the track in regard to where I was that evening. I hadn't heard any particulars about the trouble at the Belmont, and I don't know anything about it yet save that some costly dishes and furniture were smashed. I suppose there will be a big bill to pay, but of course I can get out of that. As to the fifty dollars, I'm in awful trouble. I paid it in as certainly as my name is Elliot, and I paid it to the assistant bookkeeper who stands very high. How is it possible for him to say that I didn't? And what has become of it? You see how it is, Hildreth, circumstances are all against me. If I had been at home that night, in my room, at work as I should have been, but for that notion I got that some of our young people were in danger, why, I could prove it in two minutes. In fact, there would be nothing to prove. The boys wouldn't have thought of such a thing as my being among that crowd if I had not pretended to know that wretch of a traverse, 
whom I have not even seen. It all comes back to that, Hildreth. I have been playing with falsehoods, and they have got me into a scrape, as you said they would. I don't see any way out. When I started for home tonight, I was too angry to think. I am yet, for that matter. What business had President Chambers to charge me with being a thief? Suppose the fifty dollars cannot be found. What is that to me, when I know I laid it down before the bookkeeper's eyes, and he acknowledged it? Hildreth, I have been treated meanly. I am sure my father would say so. But just how to manage it, I don't know. I suppose I shall have to pay it again. Do you think it would be possible for us to raise that amount extra, Hildreth, while father is sick? And why should I pay it anyway? Wouldn't that look like a confession of crookedness on my part? I can't think clearly. If only there was someone with whom we could advise. How would it do to talk with Rex Hartwell? The young man shrank and shivered. Oh, Hildreth, I couldn't. He would think I wanted to borrow the money from him, and I would rather work it out on the road than do that. Must people hear about it, do you think? There will be so many details to explain, and all sorts of false stories will get afloat. But then, if I am expelled from college, it will be all out anyhow. What a miserable business it is, and I always prided myself so much on our good name. To think that I should be the one to stain it! The poor fellow's voice quivered with pain, and his sister arose at once to the situation. Never mind, Corliss, we shall find our way out. It is not as though you had really done any of the things with which you are charged. If that were so, it almost seems as though I could not bear it. As it is, we shall be shown a way to make the truth plain. Let me think it over to-night, and in the morning I am sure some light as to how to act will have come to us. The boy's grasp on her arm tightened, and his voice had a husky note as he said, You trust me, Hildreth, don't you? You don't believe for a moment that I am guilty of any of the horrid things? Her reply was prompt and reassuring. Why, of course, Corliss. How can you ask such a question? I know you do nothing but play with falseness. If you could only give up that. I will, Hildreth. I give you my word for it. If I get safely out of this scrape, see if hereafter I don't make my communications yea and nay. They were opposite the window again, and he caught sight of John standing framed in it. This reminded him of something he had meant to say. He broke in with it abruptly. Hildreth, does John frequent the wayside house? Last night, when I was hanging around, watching for what might develop, I saw him walk into the reception room and look about him, like a person in search of someone. I slipped into the small room, for, as you may well suppose, I did not care to be recognized there. But I could not help wondering what had brought him. Do you suppose he can be of that stamp? Hildreth drew a weary sigh. I don't know, she said mournfully. I confess that I don't know what to think of him. I should like to believe in him in every way, he is so kind to father, and so thoughtful of us all, and so entirely faithful in his work. But there are suspicious circumstances connected with him, and sometimes I am afraid that— She broke off abruptly. 
was it quite fair to speak any of her suspicions so long as it was not necessary memories of his talk during that ride home from her evening meeting came to her john's language then had been so unfitted to his position and then the remembrance of the haste with which he had turned his horses and gone back to town but the evening before though he knew there were pressing duties awaiting him at home what could possibly have called him to the wayside house he had had an errand he told her at the holcombs and elfrida had returned with him of course this must have taken place after he left the wayside house he could not have dared to take her little sister there and her face grew dark over the passing possibility not that elfie would have allowed him to do so that of course was folly it had not surprised her that the child had suddenly resolved upon returning home she had fits of nervousness over her father's state that could only be accounted for by supposing that she had heard talk outside which made her believe he was more seriously ill than his own family thought the child had cried a dozen times that day and hildreth had forborne to question believing this to be the cause probably the holcombs had questioned her with such serious faces and such foreboding sighs that the poor girl had been seized with a panic and welcomed john's appearance with joy the utmost that the sister had said to her had been in the form of a gentle rebuke for coming back with john she had been reminded that he was still a comparative stranger and that her father had been very careful not to trust him too fully and elfrida had said oh you need not be afraid of john he is good and then had followed another burst of tears what this much enduring sister said aloud after all these reflections was oh corliss if everybody would just be frank and sincere in all their words and ways how much easier living would be i cannot get away from the fear that john has something to conceal the protective instinct came over the boy poor little woman he said with his arm around her so many of us to worry over and to help you have helped me dear the thought of looking into your true face was like a tonic i've made lots of fun with your truth-telling propensities you know but that wasn't being honest all the time i admired you for it i'll tell you what it is i should like to have my face reflect soul as yours does what do you think wayland says he's our star boy in college you know never does anything wrong he says when he looks at your photograph he thinks of every mean thing he ever did and is ashamed of it hildreth i feel better you have heartened me up somehow i knew you would let's go into father End of chapter fifteen